Hello and welcome to another Linguistics Career Cast, the podcast devoted to exploring careers for linguists outside academia. I'm your host, Laurel Sutton. Eric Jackson is a linguist, namer, and brand strategist. He earned his master's degree in linguistics from Boston University, where his thesis was called A Linguistic Introduction to Brand Naming. His employment as a namer has spanned top-tier companies like Lexicon Branding, Salt Branding, Now Material, and Northbound, and he's created names for companies like Philips, New Balance, Verizon, Gillette, and Nestle. He's also a fan of Dungeons & Dragons. Topics discussed include networking, theology, job hopping, small agencies, naming, branding, internships, taxonomies, and linguistic analysis. Links to Eric's LinkedIn profile and other resources mentioned in the show are in the show notes. Eric, thank you so much for coming on the show. I am so delighted to, to talk with you. Um, you were so kind as to be on the naming panel at the Linguistics Career Launch a couple of years ago, and that audio version of that panel we put out on the show um, some weeks ago, so people who are regular listeners will already know a little bit about you. So I am just delighted to have you back and also, of course, to, to be able to talk about naming with somebody who's actually in the naming business. <laughs> Let's start off. I always ask people this question, and I love all the different answers. When you were in school, either as an undergrad or a grad, did you know what linguistics was? <laughs> and, and, and like, how did that, how did you decide that linguistics was going to be your thing? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, and I'll, I'll get to that question, but I just wanted Laurel to thank you for for having me here, and you know, it's such a treat to to get to speak with you. I don't know if I, I'm sure I've told you this at some point, maybe I haven't, I don't know, but you are the one that I spoke to first <laughs> about naming. It's because of you that I'm in this industry at all. So it's just, oh, okay, I accept responsibility for that. Yeah. <laughs> so super glad to be here. Um, yeah. So how, did I know what linguistics was? Um, so my background, I got my master's in linguistics and it was sort of, uh, as I was, as I was ending my undergrad, um, journey, I was looking ahead. What do I, what do I want to do next? And I got interested in the idea of teaching, uh, English abroad, like teaching English to speakers of other languages. Um, that, that sounded like an interesting kind of, you know, travel abroad. That's kind of a skill that I have just by nature of being born here. Um, so that was where I was looking. And I, and I had some, I, I spoke with some professors and some people who were in that industry and they suggested, why don't you, um, you know, get a, get a master's uh, either in, in something language related or, or something just so that, you know, you have that if you decide you want to come back to the States and you want to, at least you have kind of that extra degree with you. So I thought, sure. Yeah. I, I, I liked school, so I continued <laughs> on and stayed. I was at Boston College, so I stayed for a master's program in linguistics. And I had known of it, um, didn't know too much about it, but I was always interested in languages. And so um, I decided in my, I think it was maybe my my senior year, or, or was to start to look into linguistics and get to know the professors, the faculty, get to know some of the intro courses and take some of those courses. And I loved it. I was obsessed with it. I loved, um, you know, looking in, into the way, you know, the, the history and structure of English was one of my favorite sort of sub genres of linguistics, um, historical linguistics in general. I was always, you know, a big, still am a big Tolkien fan and uh-huh. C.S. Lewis, you know, and that's like the philology of their age was like historical usually. So um, studied, uh, studied there, did, did, you know, two, two more years there. And also on the side would teach uh, English at the local library uh, to to people who wanted to learn English. Um, And I just kind of found, you know, like, I don't know if this is really where I'm called to go. And so um, I I was kind of, you know, feeling like, uh, you know, I'm interested. I I love linguistics. It's, It's an interesting topic. Love language what can I do with it? I mean, I don't really feel called to, to travel and, and go teach partly because just some of my conversations and, and experiences with my professors, you know, we, we, one of my courses was uh, to, was called field methods. And, mm-hmm. and so it was like going to, how would you learn a language in a culture where you share nothing in common? You right. didn't even know how, like, what would you do? What are the tools to like, say you encounter, um, a, a village or a tribe of people in, in a jungle? <laughs> How would you interact mm-hmm. with them? How would you learn their language? And so 
we uh, as a class, mostly English speakers, some Spanish, we learned Quechua, and that was our uh -huh. language, your target language. It was Quechua, the language of the Inca Empire um, in South America. And so as we were learning that, we would Skype with people who were native Quechua speakers. And they also spoke Spanish, so we had a little bit of a bridge if we, if we needed it. But where I'm going with this is the, the, that experience of learning kind of a completely foreign, um, you know, nothing in, in common with, with English or, or really like, you know, kind of European Western culture. Um, it, it was sort of like, gosh, like do, there's these languages like this are dying. There, there, mm -hmm. there's languages like Quechua or, you know, these other languages and cultures are kind of all becoming, you know, homogenous. And mm -hmm. something about that just kind of stuck with me. Like, do I really want to be teaching English? It is a useful skill and a lot of people want to learn it. Right. But I want to learn those languages. I want those languages to, to be preserved and, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and to be passed on. And so I almost felt like, uh, you know, I was kind of just wrestling with that. Like, do I want to be teaching English? And so um, that was really what sort of one one thing that made me pivot to uh, a different path. And um, that path led me to uh, marketing that was kind of, uh, I had some influence in family who were in that world. And so marketing, I was kind of started to go with that angle. What's, what's the intersection between language and marketing? And I found this kind of like, um, you know, advertising, branding, this kind of world is where where I ended up, and and that's where I sort of pivoted in the middle of my my degree to to study more of that angle of linguistics, like where where it appears in sort of language creation, copywriting, um, advertising, that that kind of area. So uh, that led me to the the very niche world of branding, which is brand naming, which is creating words, uh, you know, for, for summer completely new coined words, some are using real words or a combination of the two, to create, to evoke um, feelings in, in people. And so I was, I was just loving that kind of idea of word creation, uh, of, uh, you know, creation of new ideas. And so I started looking into some of the studies in, in linguistics around branding and brand naming and found just some wildly interesting um, findings, which... Anyone in naming or usually even in, in linguistics probably has, has heard of some of those, like the Kiki, Booba effect, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. And so that was just fascinating. That that stuck with me and I wanted to pursue that. And so that's, that's ultimately what I ended up writing my thesis about, was about uh, brand naming from a linguistic perspective. Yeah. So when you were in school, did you take any classes specifically um, like, did you take marketing classes or business classes to, to sort of learn it from that point of view? You know, I didn't. It probably would have helped. <laughs> yeah. I was in linguistics. Like, um, just, we, there was a business school and they had classes. But, you know, I, I was sort of all new to the, to the business world. I knew nothing really about it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there were other paths that, that you know, people had con considered. Like, I, I had listened to other speakers who had gone on to graduate and get jobs. Some went to computational linguistics, went to, like, work for Amazon and create mm. Alexa and all that and uh, natural language kind of things. Um, others went into, like, military intelligence, you know, translations and interpretation mm -hmm. and, and that angle. Others went into speech pathology or, you know, speech therapy, um, you know, which we learned about in psycholinguistics or sociolinguistics classes fascinating stuff but it was for some reason it was this kind of like advertising marketing branding um direction that um that was starting to sort of interest me um and it was really uh when i went to the lsa conference 2015 i think mm -hmm. um in boston it was in it was actually in portland that, oh, that in portland that's right yeah. okay and that's where we met that was uh yeah. that was um, where i first i i got exposed to other groups of people like the Na american name society was there um uh my my um now former colleague but at the time future colleague greg alger was there giving a presentation mm -hmm. that's right yeah. uh for for on behalf of lexicon the agency that i ended up getting my first job at um so I can totally talk more about LSA. That was that was a great experience. So this gets us into the the realm of networking, and mm -hmm. I I feel like uh, one of the best things that has come out of 
um, the work that I've been doing with the special interest group at the, for the LSA about careers beyond academia has been doing this exact sort of networking at different LSA conferences, mm -hmm. because I think it's really the only time when people get to meet linguists who are employed outside, outside of academia, right? Like most departments, some do, but most do not have people come back and talk about their careers. Mm -hmm. um, they should. I totally think they should. And I think yeah. more of them are starting to do it now. There's a couple um, departments like in University of Arizona that actually has a program where people come back to tell their stories. But in general, people kind of leave and then you you don't really know what happens to them. And, yeah. you know, there, there certainly isn't a wall of fame at most <laughs> departments where it's like, well, these people went on to Amazon and this person went on to do this. And it, it it's just a lack of exposure to what could actually be out there. So um, mm -hmm. again, that was the big reason why we decided to have the linguistics career launch a couple of years ago was just, just to let people know that stuff like this existed. So you found it for the exact reason that we tried to do these things was just to simply put people in touch with each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's where it really started to to ramp up. That was prob that was uh that was my last year of the uh, of the program, and so I was really looking for like looking ahead to okay, where where am I going to work? I got this degree. It's the, the degree is coming. What do I do with it? <clears throat> um, and I was sort of you know I had already been looking into this field of naming, of branding, and so I, I was curious. And, and you know, speakers from from places like Lexicon or or you with your background at Catchword, um, or other folks at the, you know, Nancy Friedman was there also, does a lot of naming. Um, all these folks there in one place was so great to just be able to like walk up to you after a talk <laughs> and tell you like, yes, I'm a student, I'm I'm interested in this field, where would you recommend that I go? That's that's kind of what I went around doing and, and yeah. talked to all these folks. Um, and that was that. That was that was amazing. That set me on the trajectory of of where to go. Like I still remember your advice to me was, um, you know, it's one of the things that I remember that I took away from. We were walking from uh, one building to another, and you were saying, like, quantity. <laughs> How much yeah. quantity is important when you're when you're doing a naming project? You know, you may think of like really cool, you know, ten names, but probably someone else has also thought of those cool ideas mm -hmm. and how much quantity is, you know, so it's that, that was one takeaway from that and something I never really thought of before. And so when I went on to kind of uh, do some sample projects for, for folks that was already kind of in my mind and already had that, that kind of education and, and getting to talk with others there as well from, you know, from lexicon and elsewhere and just hearing their advice too. That those those that kind of event, like an event like LSA, is super super helpful for yeah. looking around at what you could potentially do. So Greg Alger was there, and you talked to him, and then you started as an intern, right, at Lexicon? Yeah, before before I got the internship. So what I what I ended up doing after leaving LSA? Okay, what do I do? How do, where do I go? How, how do I network? What, who? What's the best strategy? And what I ended up doing was. Um, I just looked around uh, online, like, you know, LinkedIn, uh, Fast Company, you know, all the places where, you know, like kind of tech branding, all that kind of news is popping up and, and searching for, in my case, brand naming. Like, what are the most recent articles that are coming out? What are interesting stories that people are putting out? And then who's writing those? Mm -hmm. And I would look up the authors and find them on LinkedIn, message them or, you know, find their email if that was possible and <laughs> send them an email um, I think I, I was talking to a couple folks at, at Catchword that way, just because I saw they posted something online. And um, so I wrote to them, told them, hey, I'm a student. I'm really interested in getting into this field. Uh, this is kind of my background a little bit. What would you suggest I, I do? How would you suggest I kind of go forward? So just kind of putting yourself out there by looking at um, who's saying what out there in the field you're interested in and just, you know, kind of a cold call, just messaging them and, uh, you know, eventually someone's going to probably answer because everyone wants to help someone out. They, they've all been there. They know what it's like. Yeah. Um, and so then, you know, I did the same thing with, with Lexicon. I, I had mentioned, you know, whoever was answering the Lexicon company email. Like I, I met Greg at the, at the LSA talk. It was great. I'm a student. I'm graduating and, and really interested in diving in. I've got this linguistics background. Um, 
and I got a reply and it was sort of uh, an opportunity for a paid internship. I was, I'm like, Hey, great. I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> um, to be on their sort of linguistics team. They had a team of linguistic interns. And so that's where I started. It was uh, leaving Boston, going back to my home state of California in Sausalito um, to start my first job after school. And that was, that was a, you know, summer internship that then turned into a full-time position offer at the end of that summer, Mm -hmm. um, which was great. That was, I'm incredibly grateful for my time at Lexicon. I ended up staying there for another three, total of like three years or so when I was there. Yeah. Lexicon is the oldest and I think the largest naming firm, strictly naming. There are obviously companies that are bigger like Siegel Gale and, um, you know, Interbrand and and Landor, but they're not strictly naming companies. Lexicon is just naming and they have been around forever. David was the first one, I think, to start a naming firm. So all props to them. They, I love the part of their website that is billion dollar brands and boy, there are a lot of them on there. (laughs) Yeah. You you like, I remember coming across this this agency when I was doing my studies because they themselves have put out their own uh, you know, studies in, in naming and in, in linguistics, a couple studies that they had run in the past. They've been around since like the 80s, yeah. uh, really forging the path of a, of a naming only agency. Um, and so they looked at some of those same kind of recreated some older studies and then did some of their own things. But so I, I had heard of them and, you know, like Swiffer, Febreze, Dasani for Coca-Cola, <laughs> Subaru's Outback. Like you look at their website, you're like, what? All, the, all these names came from one place. Uh, it's, so it's pretty fascinating. It was really like, um, uh, I'm really grateful for being able to like have that be kind of my first experience in working and naming is, is being at Lexicon, just the, totally. the wide range of kind, kinds of clients you get to work with, um, the, the wide variety of projects of, uh, you know, probably when, when I was there, we were running somewhere between 10 and 20 projects all like at one mm-hmm. time, just at, yeah. given, at a given time. And so it, you're always working on something different. And that's kind of the beauty of an agency is that, um, you know, you can kind of do naming this kind of work. You can do it, I would say, in three ways, either um, you're in-house somewhere at, you know, you're at you work at REI and you're naming all of REI's new outdoor mm-hmm. gear. You're on their marketing team. So that's in-house, or you could be at an agency like Lexicon or um, like uh, like Catchword, or now where I'm at now, it's called Northbound in Seattle. Um, and we work with all kinds of different clients. And so you kind of get variety there, but you have a team with you. Um, or the third way is freelance. You're, you're off on your own and you're kind of a single, single person army, so to speak, uh, naming for whatever clients you can get. That speaks to something that um, I've talked with a lot of folks about on the podcast, which is finding the work style that in which you thrive, right? So some people really like the security of working in-house. So mm-hmm. you have a job, you have a place to go to, you have a team that you work with all the time. You know your subject matter incredibly well because you're naming all the same stuff for you know REI or whatever it is. But for some folks, it's too much of the same. Like for mm-hmm. me, it certainly was the times when I've done that sort of thing. And so the agency model, where, as you say, you're working on maybe 15 different projects at once in different stages of completion is just more interesting, especially I always describe myself as a person with a short attention span. Like <laughs> it, it's just better, right? Like I just want to work on new things. I'm tired of working on yeah. stuff that I already know about. So um, that's important. And then some people really prefer to go it on their own. And they don't really care for working in-house where you're doing the same thing. And even working on a team is just not to their liking. And there is certainly a living to be made as a freelance namer. There are enough naming companies who use freelancers. Catchword has used freelancers in the past. I know Lexicon has. Most of them have, in fact. So if you're good at it, you can absolutely earn a living doing that and maybe some copywriting on the side. So it's possible, but you're not going to earn a living doing it straight out of the gate because the reason people hire freelancers is based on your track record and what you have shown that you can do. So this is just advice to anybody out there who wants to get into it. You have to be able to to prove some work that you've done. Nobody's going to hire you as a freelancer and pay you with no work to show. Um, because why would they, right? <laughs> you can go That's there and really say like, Hey, I'm good at this. It's like, well, okay, show us some work. And then yeah. you'll find out if you're good. 
Yeah, that's that's a big that's a big thing, especially you know, uh, for for showing your work with naming, people are going to look at well, what names have you come up with, or mm-hmm. like have you worked on projects where yeah. uh, interesting name has come out of it? That's definitely the something as a freelancer, someone's going to want to know. And it, that's kind of hard to do right out of the gate, right? You don't have right. those client those client things. So what can you do? What can you do right out of the gate to show kind of that you are good at this? And and one way, you you know, this kind of goes, it's, it's kind of like advice for any creative work, whether it's graphic design or whatever. You can, um, you can create kind of a, a fake project, so to speak, mm-hmm. just to be able to walk someone through your thinking. Because that's, in addition to like, uh, you know, what cool names have come out of it or what's the result. Most, most teams, most, uh, you know, whether it's an agency or a client, they, they also want to know your thought process. What are you thinking when you're coming up with, uh, you know, this, this set of options to choose from? Like, did you, what, what went into that? And so being able to walk someone through that, you know, if I were doing that, I may, uh, you know, create a, a fake, uh, project and, and give myself a fake creative brief where I outline what are my goals that I'm trying to achieve with, uh, say, a name um, and and how those goals, you know, impact the the business, how they impact marketing, um, you know, and then and then I would walk through like a, probably a longer list of what I was thinking, kind of organized into different creative territories and sort of be able to almost like I'm presenting it to them as if it's a, you know, as if they're the client and, and I'm showing them the work. And that's, that's probably, you know, that's, it's not the easiest thing to do uh, when you don't actually have, you know, a client to point back to or client work, but with, for the lack of that, you can kind of make up some of your own in that way. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that's a great suggestion. And I think it also helps you, kind of flex your naming muscles, right? Um, to mm-hmm. work up to being able to come up with a list of 200 or 300 or 400. Because yeah. you can't just start and do that. Like no one can. It's it's like asking somebody to run a marathon when they haven't even run a mile. <laughs> so as a, a person who wants to do naming, you have to practice and mm-hmm. come up with lots of names and keep coming up with lots of names until you feel comfortable coming up with really and truly hundreds, if not thousands of names. That's super important. That's right. Yeah, I don't even think we've mentioned numbers, but like in a typical project for that that ultimately becomes one name of something, there's over a thousand that mm-hmm. were considered, um, you know, from either from maybe from a couple other team members pitching in. But generally, you know, for one one say round of of work, you're you're probably looking at um, maybe even a thousand just for one one round, uh, and that takes time. It definitely takes time to create just that volume of of work. It takes hours of kind of sitting, you know, whatever creative methods work, you know, going down Wikipedia rabbit holes, looking at thesauruses, just going out there in the wild and and looking around at stores or flipping through, um, you know, books or, or perusing different interesting websites to look for interesting words. Uh, Lots of different sort of uh, creative uh, strategies to go down just to sort of fill out a, a list so that it's not just kind of the, the low-hanging fruit for a right. game. Exactly, yeah. Uh, all, all creative strategies are good ones. There is no right way to yeah. do it. And everybody works slightly differently. I want to just jump back for a second to um, when you got your internship. Why do you think they hired you? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I don't even know if I ever asked <laughs> them that. That would be interesting to know. Um, I when, when I sent my um, cover letter and re- resume in, well, one thing I did note was I mean, this is particular to my previous background, which was studying philosophy and theology, uh, which is kind of strange. It's you know who not that's not like the most common background for you know someone in marketing or branding to study religion and to study philosophy. You know maybe that's a little more common, but um, I think maybe that was uh, was kind of interesting. It just made me. Uh, a little bit separate from maybe somebody who took more marketing classes. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it was just kind of a different lens, right? And so if you're someone who's uh, got kind of an uh, either educational background like that, or or even just an interest, like a passion in a field that has nothing to do (laughs) with with marketing, I think that's a strength, honestly. Like I think that's just, it's another way that you're viewing the world that is unique and can create a unique, fresh solution to a problem that, you know, someone who went 
uh, through business school may may have you know they, they may not think of it that way. Mm-hmm. No, totally agree. It, I'm glad we're talking about this because it's been coming up more with some of the folks that I've been chatting with. Um, which is the difference between how you present yourself, say, for an academic interview versus how you would present yourself either in a cover letter or for an actual interview with somebody in industry. And in academia, it, it, is, it seems far more narrowly focused on what you've done, right? Mm-hmm. Like, here's your CV. Here's the, the stuff that you've done. And that's it. Like, you are your work. Whereas mm-hmm. in industry, as you're saying, I think employers are much more interested in who you are as a person, what mm-hmm. you can bring to it, what your perspective is, what your lens is, what your experiences have been, um, what you like to do in your spare time, showing that you're a well-rounded person who understands the way the world works. It's just so important. And, and I think I think you're right. I think they did hire you for that reason, because it was an interesting, different way of, of looking at stuff. You studied different things, and they probably didn't have anybody on staff who had a background in theology. And they went, oh, this would be a good thing to add. Yeah. So I, I say that just because... Um, sometimes people feel like they shouldn't share that much about themselves. Like, oh, nobody's going to be interested in my photography hobby. It's like, no, 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 they will. They'll be super interested in your photography hobby. Like, put that down. That's a thing you want to talk about. Um, Yeah, employers want to know who you are. And also they want to know that you're going to fit in with the team, right? Like, there's a certain amount of judging going on to make sure that everybody's going to get along and you're going to be a good person to have in the office or work remotely or whatever. You have to work on a team. So they have to know that you're the kind of person who will actually be able to work on a team and not disrupt things or go off on your own and not cooperate with the team ethic. That stuff in industry is super important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's almost like Especially when it's when it's uh, when it's a first job or a new job, they're not expecting you to be like the greatest namer in the world mm-hmm. or something. No one's going to expect that. Um, you'll learn those things uh, as you you know once you start working there and once you learn from from those who've been who've been doing it for a while, you'll pick all that up. I mean, my first naming lists were terrible. They were, <laughs> they were like all the things you would expect, or there are things that like you couldn't pronounce, or because I thought they were cool, whatever. Um, and you kind of you kind of find that stuff away like along the way, but um, they're they're trying to get a sense of you know who yeah exactly who are you what's what's what makes you tick what's uh, um, are you good on a team are you good right. uh, you know adapting and, and kind of being being in that learner's mindset we had a couple, we had one guy on, on our team who was a stand up comedian in the oh wow in the amazing so it like, yeah it was like that's such a cool um, different kind of perspective on things yeah in, in oh. clever way that's awesome so um, again to people who are looking these are some really important things that you should think about when you're going out there because as you were saying you know looking for a job is a job and there mm-hmm. are things you need to do and crafting the way you present yourself is absolutely one of those things you can't just shove your resume at someone and think that's going to do all the work for you like you have to you have to have a little set where you go and talk about yourself and present your best self to whoever you're talking to yeah, yeah, and lean into those differences for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So now um, you've had this time at Lexicon and you've learned stuff and you've done all kinds of things. Uh, I I have come out publicly against the term job hopping because I think it sounds terrible. <laughs> uh, I, there has to be a better way to say it, and I haven't thought of what it is yet. But in any case, you've changed jobs a couple of times, and <laughs> all of it has been um, – growth for you right like it's it's a thing that you've done because you want to do it and um you know there's a story behind it so let's talk about um you know leaving lexicon and going to your next gig after that yeah yeah um my wife and i play a lot of uh dungeons and dragons (laughs) Uh so it's like um it's like we're joining a new campaign joining a new party uh different focus you know different different background. So leaving Lexicon, I was kind of interested to learn more about other areas of branding. This is specifically naming. Um, I always kind of had this passion on the side for design and love to read about it, love to love to sort of, you know, evaluate different designs, you know, what I think is stronger or weaker for. So, but Lexicon, you know, they weren't, they're, they're not a design agency. Um, they're a naming agency. And so I was kind of setting my sights a little bit broader. What, where are some agencies that kind of do 
more that provide more of the branding services, the mm-hmm. kind of the full spectrum. And that's what led me to uh, an agency that w- was at the time called Salt, Salt Branding. Um, they are no longer Salt. They are now ma- Material. They got, uh, they sold the company to a bigger kind of research firm and became part of the branding team. Uh, so it's now called Material, but Salt at the time, um, another small agency, you know, tw- 20-ish people, somewhere around there, just like Lexicon. Um, but they were, and they were based in San Francisco. But they also did, you know, brand strategy, a little bit of the, you know, positioning, um, and as well as they had naming, you know. One of the founders uh, created the name Wi-Fi and the designer created the little icon for it. So uh, some really interesting names had come from that team. And then they also did the, they had a graphic design team that also executed the, the names and the positioning visually. So I got to see how those teams all work together and how naming plays a part, kind of where naming sits next to all of those other services and functions. And so that was really um, a, a really cool experience. And I was there also for three years, um, went through the process of the, the company being sold and becoming part of material. Um, and that's, yeah, so that's where I went after that to sort of see, uh, you know, where does this, how, how much, how big is this branding path? Mm-hmm. Where can we go? Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about what it was like to look for a new job, find a new job, which I assume you got through networking, and then leaving the old one and starting the new one. Like, what was the transition like? Yeah, yeah. Looking around, I, I kind of felt, um, you know, like Lexicon is great, and they, they've got all kinds of interesting clients, but I was, again, interested in kind of going beyond uh, and seeing other how other departments work. And I was just kind of looking in the area, looking locally, because I was living in San Francisco. And so just a, a search, you know, of what what branding agencies there are and kind of reading a little bit about them. Um, saw that there was, you know, I can't remember what website, but the ones, you know, like Glassdoor or LinkedIn mm-hmm. that show that there's an opening. And there was one that was for this kind of like hybrid role of uh, a little bit of... Um, on the strategy team, but also on the kind of account management side of it, which is similar to my, uh, you'll see a lot, a lot of smaller agencies. You're going to wear a lot of hats if it's it's a small room. Um, And so, you know, it wasn't exactly, uh, you know, you're definitely, you're just uh, on the naming team. You're just doing this. Um, It was kind of like, you know, you're doing some account management, meaning you're working with clients and, and, and a little bit of project management with them as well. But you're also, working on the strategy, uh, you know, helping develop strategic positioning concepts, also develop names. They saw my background in Lexicon and they thought, okay, he knows how to do naming. So we'll have him do a lot of the naming for us. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where I slotted in at this new role was, okay, you're, you can handle some of the day-to-day client stuff, um, which is kind of what I, what I also did at Lexicon. I did like half my job was like project management client relationship stuff and half of it was like creative development um at that actually partway through my lexicon journey was actually kind of departing from linguistics primarily and moving more into the creative and account side of the business Mm -hmm. um so that was actually a transition uh where i i wasn't doing any research on linguistics anymore i was now kind of fully into the um creative development presenting to clients and getting that experience. And so being able to talk about all that, talk about my linguistic background, talk about, um, you know, creative development, presenting to clients, working well with clients, that I think helped this this new role, which was kind of that same hybrid function of being strategy team, but also client team. Uh, I was able to kind of just fit, fit right in there. And um, they had a different focus, you know, they had a different client base. It was very much uh, B2B, business to business tech, you know, San Francisco, big, big tech companies that power everything, but you never see them very different from the consumer business side of like, you know, Facebook, Coca-Cola, those kinds of things. Um, this was more, you know, big tech companies. So, uh, and, and more uh, different kinds of work like brand uh, architecture, more, kind of bigger systems of names um, that that was kind of where they they were sort of in their niche focus was was that and so it was a little bit of a 
cult, not a culture internally change, but more of like a client culture change. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, just through some conversations, uh, the naming world is really small, you'll find. And so <laughs> when, they, when they know that you're, you're at Lexicon or you're at this other agency or that, they, most people have heard of that, they'll know about it. Um, and so that's, that's another benefit of going with an agency model versus just going on your own path is that people, you, you kind of can carry a little bit of the cachet of that brand. Like I definitely had coming from Lexicon, that was a a nice little indicator for them. Like, okay. Um, they know other people who came from Lexicon that therefore they know a little bit about how I think. Yeah, um, for sure. I, I would use the word incestuous as far as the Bay Area naming <laughs> scene, because like we all know each other at this point. And other. and it's it, it's the bad part about it is that it is like that. You know, everybody knows each other and you know, upsides and downsides. Um, the good part, though, is that once you're in, you're in. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you join an agency, Lexicon or Salt or Catchword or whatever, and you're good at your job and everybody starts to know who you are, you can always get a job in naming like you will That's land right. somewhere um, and that'll never go away as long as you do your job well. So, yeah, kind of like the naming mafia in some way. <laughs> Once you're in the family, you're, you're, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it absolutely worked that way. And and at Salt for three, you know, three years, it became material kind of go through that transition of giant company now, no longer really an agency. It's uh, We still had our coworkers with us directly that we saw day to day, but now part of a big, big, you know, thousand plus uh, mm-hmm. firm, you know, agency, company, whatever we want to describe it. But uh, it was different. It, it functioned a little differently. And um, so I was there for, you know, a couple of years, went through that transition and, you know, I think uh, it was just, uh, it's not, not a, maybe it wasn't uh how do I say this? Like, I was just kind of feeling like I missed the the small agency, you know, the, mm-hmm. that kind of model. Sure. And so, yeah. um, I, I think there were others maybe who felt that because it was kind of one by one. People were kind of going on, moving on to other things, which is fine. You know, nothing's constant, but change. So um uh, as we were all kind of thinking through, you know, is this, do we want to go this direction with material with this big company? I think a lot of people missed the, um, the smaller, the smaller model. And so that's, that's what brought me to the next place, which is where I, where I ended up uh, almost exactly a year ago uh, in Seattle with, with another agency called Northbound, which actually came from <laughs> the founder of Northbound. She also was at salt back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there was that little connection there. So again, networking she saw my background and she said oh you're from salt you i know all of your managers and you know i know all the people you work with so um there was that that totally like unexpected connection there i did not know that that was going to be the case until i started interviewing with them so you had to move obviously yeah yeah was that something you wanted to do or or were you just prepared to do it if the job required it yeah so interestingly about that um was so living in San Francisco, working at Salt, which was based in San Francisco, and then the pandemic came and everybody went remote. Um, we were all working from our homes, and uh, that model seemed to be working just fine. Like uh, we, we weren't rushing to get back into an office, and so um, once it was kind of clear that you know this this may be the the future of what we're doing, or at least for the most part. Um, we oh, also in that time I got married. <laughs> so um, my wife and I, we had a little apartment in Walnut Creek, California. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, I was, we were there for a year. I was working out of the apartment there. Um, and then we decided, you know, we want, uh, we knew we wanted to start our family and we wanted, uh, she's from Washington state and we wanted to be close to her family when, when, when new baby mm-hmm. uh comes around, which by the way, is uh, just less than two months from now. Our wow. first part will be here. Um, yeah. And so we wanted to be close to, close to family. And so we decided to make the move and material was, was cool with it. They were, you know, it's still at that point now that salt was part of this bigger network, they had folks and material from all over the country in different States everywhere. So it, the timing of it uh, worked out for us just personally in our personal lives, also with the, the way the company was set up. And so we could move up to Washington and I could continue working for the same team that was based in San Francisco. Um, 
And so here we were in Washington, uh, outside of Seattle in Tacoma, which is like an hour south. And that's, yeah, so started working here. So the move happened before I even was looking for anything else. I was, I wasn't really even looking. Um, and, uh, that's, uh, yeah, actually that's, this was the one time, uh, the one job transition, I guess, where, where I actually wasn't the one looking, it was someone else looking for a naming director. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, a recruiter had reached out to me and, and that's how, what started that conversation. And I was like, Oh, interesting. You're based in Seattle where my new home pretty much yeah. is and you are focused on kind of the same um, client type client base that I'm used to with salt. Uh, you're, you know, your founder is from the same company. We know the same people uh, you need someone with naming expertise. And that's kind of where I had been. My niche at salt slash material had, had become was really the one to lead anything naming related because of my background. Um, yeah. So that was just a perfect match. Yeah, it all just lined up for you. That that's fantastic. It it is great how things will just happen like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um I I was thinking as you were talking about the the person who was looking for you. Mm-hmm. Um this just happened to me recently where I was approached for a job um by a company um that w- employs someone who I knew through somebody who used to work at catchword. Mm. So there was that connection. Mm -hmm. And so we were doing some work and the client um, eventually decided that they were just going to hire me. So it was a naming agency. They put me in touch with the client and the client was like, you know what, we'll just hire you. It'll be easier that way. And the contact at the client was somebody who also used to work at catchword. (laughs) It was like, Oh, this is too small now. This is way too small. It's such a small world. It's amazing. I, when I, and I saw the name, I was like, Oh no, this is so funny. You know, I haven't seen you in years, but this is great connection. So that, that is just, it happens all the time. It totally does. Like I mentioned, uh, you know, Greg Alger um, at Lexicon, he eventually parted ways from Lexicon uh, as well. And he went on to Cisco and now he's one of my clients at Cisco. Right, um, of course. And, of course he we're, is. We're working with them now. And so, um, and yeah, other clients you see like, oh yeah, I know that name. They're from, you know, they're from Siegel and Gale or they're from Catchware, they're from Salt or they're from Lexicon. You know, you kind of see the same people, even even among the clients, not even just your coworkers. Right, that's right. Yeah, because some people go in-house and that's what they mm-hmm. decide to do. Yeah. Uh, that That is fantastic. Um I was thinking as, as you were talking about all the different responsibilities and, and I, I support you in saying at smaller firms, you tend to do a lot of stuff, a lot of different things, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's just, you know, they need a warm body, right, to do a thing. And if you can do it, that that's great. Like get on the phone, talk to this client or, mm-hmm. you know, we need you to put this deck together or whatever it happens to be, you know, um, catchword was very small. So you have to order lunch for everybody today, and, yeah. you know, like that, that's fine. It's, it's just, it's a way, like I was saying before, this thing about working in a team and working with people, you got to be able to like step up and do that. You can't be precious about it and say like, well, I'm creative, so I don't yeah. order lunch for people. It's like, well, no, it doesn't really work that way. Um, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the attitude of, you know, that's not my job is really uh, rubs people the wrong way. You know, yeah. that's, it's versus the opposite of like, stepping up, you know, volunteering, taking the initiative that is looked anywhere I've been, that's been valued as like, you're a team player and nothing but, nothing but kind of good things come from, from that kind of an attitude. Yeah. Um, But the question I had was, uh, of your linguistic training, um, what, what do you feel has been most valuable to you in terms of the things that you studied or the things that you were, you were interested in? And I mean, both in a work setting, but also in the actual naming work that you do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in a work setting, um, you know, with, with naming, it's, you know, branding. Um, it's not a it's not an academic exercise. Generally, it's more of a it's, it's more of a, like a uh, uh, maybe not emotional, but, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to convey uh, you're trying to get to the heart of something, and, and, you know, we often use at Northbound, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the psychologist, Daniel Kahneman, the thinking fast and slow framework. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, system one is that kind of fast, uh, you know, intuitive, um, you know, your brain just kind of like makes a gut uh, instinct decision on something versus system two, slower, more rational, more logical, more thought, you know, more thought going into it. 
And with with branding, with naming, we're usually targeting the first one more. It's, so it's it's not as academic of an exercise as it is like a gut and kind of a emotional exercise. Sometimes there's sometimes where you want it to be, um, you know, very uh, kind of well thought through and rational and reasoned and all that. So all that to say is that from you know the the work angle where linguistics kind of comes into to the work is sometimes um, more like pop linguistics. You know, you can you can share some facts about the way things like certain sounds. You know, especially in some of those um, linguistic studies that I mentioned. Uh, you know, this is kind of like uh, up for debate, I guess, in mainstream linguistics how how much you know sound conveys a certain meaning. Right. Um, but, you know, there's some things that we kind of all know from a collective experience about certain the way certain things sound. And even if they're not linguistically universal or you can't, like, prove this or that, there's still that kind of gut uh, element that you can explain to a client like, oh, this this sound cluster kind of sounds like this idea. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of make that case and they can uh, sort of nod their head like, yeah, I, you know, that makes sense to me. Um and so coming at it from like a linguistic angle that way with, with phonetics, phonology, phone aesthetics, um, those kinds of things are really, uh, those are easy enough to talk about and they don't feel too academic. Um, you know, you could talk about structure, morphology, you could talk about structure of names, the way names are linked together using prefixes and suffixes in ways that are, you know, natural maybe um, or not natural, depending on what you're going for. Um, and so that those kinds of things you can start to bring into presentations. Uh, and it just kind of conveys like um, <laughs> it does convey a little bit of authority, like, you know, what you're talking about or you've thought about yeah, this. Sure. And it's like an expertise that the client likely does not have or, or has never encountered. And so um, it, it just kind of helps sell some ideas. It helps present that, you know, you've put a lot of thought into into this. It's not just kind of brainstorming on a napkin. Like, what if we did this name? You know, <laughs> right. Um, you put some thought and some rigor into these. And uh, so that's like the presentation side. And then as far as like my own, um, my own work, my own creative development, what's meaningful. Yeah. Like, you know, my best friend is a thesaurus here that I can just kind of go through and looking at histories of words, root words, you know, that's often going to be a direction is like, could you create a word that's made up, but has some kind of meaning embedded in it? And so that's where you're going to be playing with like etymologies and root words and shared, you know, shared origins of words so that, you know, a lot of us English speakers can look at something with a, with a Latin or Greek root and probably pull something out of it um, because it's just linguistically so embedded into, into our language as well. So having knowledge of that and knowing, or at least knowing where to look at resources for those kinds of things can be really helpful when generating ideas. Um, yeah, there's there's lots of other there's like some uh, you know corpus linguistic tools that are really interesting. Like Sketch Engine is one that comes to mind, or just the Corpus of Contemporary American English, COCA. Um, I use those all the time for um, looking up where where words appear in natural conversation, or how you know comparing words, kind of different different ways of getting at metaphors and similes and all that. Um, those different linguistic tools can be super helpful too in creating ideas. Mm-hmm. I think um, I would add to that and, and tell me if this is true, just doing some um, basic linguistic types of taxonomies, like either in phonetics or morphology where you're making trees is very helpful in doing brand architecture, naming architecture, where you're, you're literally creating hierarchies. And that's what linguistic taxonomy is about, is doing hierarchies and figuring out how things work together in families. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. The number of, you know, because uh, a lot of our clients are, are bigger um, tech company like the northbound our biggest client is microsoft who do a lot of work with microsoft and you know big company there, there's people who don't talk to each other that are creating things and naming them and you know we do a lot of uh the, we do do a lot of their naming we help manage and run their whole naming system um and you have to think of <laughs> like these taxonomies hierarchies how are things sounding next to each other how are they sounding above and below each other do they make sense? Are we using this word here, but to mean one thing and this word over here to mean something else? And, and they're, but they're the same word. So do we want to look at that um, and being able to step back and kind of look at that tree diagram exactly um, 
and and being familiar with that kind of structural approach is is super helpful. Yeah. And that attention to detail, which I think linguists are extraordinarily good at, just yes. paying attention to the, the smallest things. I, I was just flashing on a client that I had, as you were saying, using words to mean different things. Um, <laughs> I was doing a lot of taxonomy work for a, a headphone manufacturer, and they had a, a little, um, I will call it a button on their headphones that you use to, to change functions. And in the instructional manual, sometimes it was called a button and sometimes it was called a switch and sometimes it was called a toggle. And there was some other dumb word that they used for it. And it was making me insane. And I was like practically screaming at them. It's like, you have to pick a word and stick with it. You can't keep calling it different things. It's the same. It's the same on every headphone. Don't call it something different, please. Yeah. The number of debates that I've, been a part of or you know hosted about what does a platform mean for all these, all these <laughs> yes. <SaaS> companies <laughs> yes i know oh, we talk about that all the time um the the other thing where i found linguistics has been really helpful is just in my client communication so being a, being sensitive to the way that clients are talking to me and talking back to them in a way that's respectful and that they can understand because I'm sure you've had plenty of clients from different parts of the world. They might speak English natively, but they still have a different way, a different idiolect than, you know, a, a standard, you know, tech bro, white guy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's super important to be sensitive to that and be able to communicate in a way that shows that you're being respectful of the way that they talk and take in information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's actually, that reminds me of, of an area of naming and linguistics that I don't think I've even touched on. And, and that's when you're evaluating names, considering how those will sound in, in other languages. That's a big part of a linguist's job in this, in this role uh, is uh, it's helpful um, just with that linguistics background as you're creating that you'll, you'll kind of be aware of those things. Or if you say you're creating an, an invented word um, you may already kind of be aware like oh this may may mean something in another language i want to be Mm -hmm. sensitive to that um but well that will even be generally its own step uh in a naming process which is to screen anything you're going to present to clients um in the relevant languages and so Mm -hmm. you know lexicon had a big network for that um and that was kind of part of my intro there was managing a little bit of that process and, and reviewing those results from we would screen all of our names with people who natively spoke those those languages mm-hmm. so that we could make sure we're not, you know, being insensitive culturally or, or you know, linguistically. Um, yeah, that's that's another angle of linguistics in this field. Yeah. And I would say for for even for linguists who are not multilingual, it's not even so much knowing that things mean bad things, but sometimes it's just the structure, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a name that has a lot of consonant clusters in it, you know, that's not going to be good for people who speak languages that don't have consonant clusters, like, you know, Asian languages typically yeah. do not have them. So just being able to point that out and say, you know, this is not going to fly really well with, with pe- people who speak Mandarin or, or, or Japanese because those consonant clusters are going to be super hard for them to, to just pronounce. And then knowing that certain letters in the English alphabet, like Q, don't exist in some languages. They just don't have it. So, yeah, you know, bear that in mind. It's not going to work. Yeah. English is, you know, TH cluster. That's, that's kind yeah. of, you know, that's not common in other languages, that one too. And exactly like consonants. Or, or on the positive end, you know, you may, I, I feel like I say this one all the time is when, when I see a kind of a coined or made up name suggestion, like I'll take Dasani cause that exists. Mm-hmm. But the, the fact that it's, you know, it sounds like it flows well, it sounds kind of like it's balanced. Well, you could use your linguistic background to know, well, interestingly, it's, you know, it's a consonant followed by a vowel, followed by a consonant, followed mm-hmm. by a vowel. Yeah. And it's kind of has that CVCV structure. And, and that's the most common structure of words in across languages. And so yeah. that's, there's a reason why that's easy to pronounce is because it's, uh, you know, that, that kind of evokes that idea and you can kind of bring that in to help contribute to, you know, that idea or, um, or, or, or that becomes, you know, a criteria uh, for naming, you know, moving ahead is I, I want things that are easy to pronounce. You can right. go search more of those kinds of words. 
Yeah, for sure. Or even uh, Dis- I was just thinking Dasani is a good example, too, of a it's got that great CVCV structure, but also it starts with an obstruent, but then the other two consonants are not, mm-hmm. you know, and so it, it starts strong, but then it sounds really smooth, right? It's like, you know, totally yeah. subjective sound symbolism, but English speakers will totally get that, right? That, oh, there's no more stops in this word. It sounds really smooth and it ends in a vowel, which makes it also sound a little open at the end. That's right. Yeah. We, we, the, the most recent um, uh, naming, like company name project we, we completed at Northbound was for this uh, data security uh, startup, identity, identity security. Um, it was the chief trust officer of Salesforce, Jim Elko. He was um, he was at Microsoft, and then he was at Nest, and then he was at Salesforce, and then he was starting his own venture. Um, and so they needed a name for their their company, and the name we landed on was really interesting. It was something that I did not expect. Um, you know, I, when I think cybersecurity, I think you know protection, you know, shield. Uh, yeah. you know, there's other names out there like Forge Rock was one of their competitors, and so I'm thinking. You know, are you going to want to go that angle? But they went a completely opposite angle for something that was more organic sounding, um, elegant. And the name they landed on was O'Leria, which is a kind of a coined. It's a real word, but no one would know what it means. O-L-E-R-I-A. And it's uh, it's a genus of butterflies with clear wings. I was going to say it sounds like a flower to me. Yeah, there's a flower actually called O'Leria as well. Okay. Um, and, And so it's kind of got this this... It's a yeah, scientific name for a clear wing butterfly. And it was just this beautiful metaphor. They, they love yeah. that. You know, it's, it stands for it's fragile, just like your data is fragile. We protect that. Um, it's got this kind of fluid movement to it. And the sounds were really, I think, what got everybody. And there's no, um, you know, there's no obstruents. There's, it's just liquids and vowels, just right. L-R and, and vowels. And so that was, uh, you know, a linguistic explanation for why people were, kind of like, oh, this sounds elegant. Why does it sound elegant? Well, it's because there's only liquids and vowels in there. Yeah. Very smooth sound. Yeah. That's a place where you can absolutely pull out your linguistic knowledge and people just look at you like, God, you're smart. It's so good. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, uh, I should have asked you this when we were talking about your education. So you do not have a PhD. No, no, no PhD, just a master's. Um, do, yeah. do you miss not having a PhD? I mean, do you think if you'd had the chance, you would have done it? Or were you just ready to go and work? I think I was just ready to go and work. And that's just knowing myself. And, uh, you know, like, personally, I didn't think I was ever that great of a student, <laughs> if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. um, I was, you know, I was just kind of lazy. I don't know. It's just, I, I couldn't see myself doing it. And um, it's, you got to really, you got to really want that. And And I knew, like, I couldn't just go and, and just kind of like half think like, oh, I guess I could go for a PhD. I would, if it would have to be something I'd really want to do to be yeah. able to know. That's, that's hard work. That is, um, that is serious dedication. So props to people who go for, go for their PhD. Um, like I, I feel like I couldn't do it. I was just, yeah. 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 It's, it's good to hear that. It's a question that I am asked very often, you know, do I need a PhD? Do mm. I need to go and get one in order to get a job in industry? And I think the answer more often than not is no, you don't need it. It certainly helps if you're doing certain types of um, computational linguistics or yeah. um, really specific stuff like you were talking about before. I, I'm trying to think in the folks that I know who are in marketing and naming and branding who are linguists, very few of them have PhDs. A couple do, but most people have got a BA or an MA, and that's it. That's mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's fine. Nobody's uh, outside of academia. Um, very rarely are people really looking at you know which what what level of degree you know yeah. maybe maybe right when you start because that's the only thing you kind of have on your resume is what your degree was. But most people are interested more in where you work, um, what your role was there, what you did there. Not so much, um, not so much what level. Yeah. Right, right. Oh, totally agree. Um, okay, uh, so we're coming to the end of the hour here, and I will ask you the question that I'm sure you get asked all the time, and I'm going to put you on the spot. What's the favorite name that you've worked on? Oh, favorite name, yeah. Uh, not not what, the best name, but your favorite name. Favorite name. Um, <laughs> one that comes to mind uh, is one that we did at, at, uh, at Lexicon, and it, it's just because it was a cool, it was a cool product. It was a, a fancy car, like an electric uh, vehicle, 
competing with Tesla. Um, and now it's cool just because now I'm starting to see them on the road oh, every, every once it. in a while. Uh, and the name is Lucid. Lucid Motors. Yes. Okay. I have seen, I have read about the Lucid. I did not know you guys named it. That's great. That's yeah, great. Yeah, yeah. Being in the room, being like presenting, the, you know, getting to talk about that. I remember the, the chief technology officer there being like struggling with, but he had a British accent. It was great. He was like, but do I, do I drive a Lucid? Do I, do I drive it? <laughs> like, struggling with the name because yeah. it, it was an adjective. Um, uh-huh. And he was really like, like the part of speech was throwing him off and, um, so it was, <laughs> but, uh, it went through, like he, he, he bought off on that and, and, uh, and it became a really cool identity, really cool car. Um, yeah. So that's, I mean, that's one that comes to mind lucid. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really awesome. Um, if you'll indulge me, I will tell you the story of my favorite name, yeah, please, uh, please. which is for me is different from the best name that I've worked on. I think the best name that I've worked on was Asana. Um, oh, which is a, a tech company I almost here. Use that as an example instead of Dasani. I thought Dasani. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a good name for, and I'm, it's so many reasons why it's a good name. And plus, I really like the guys who founded the company, and that name yeah. was very much tied to their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, but my favorite name is one. It's so silly, and it makes me laugh every time. Uh, we were doing at Catchword some naming for uh, a large supermarket chain on the east coast they have stop and shop is the biggest brand and there are others and they were coming out um they were rebranding all of their store brand sodas the knockoffs of coke and pepsi and all those and so we had like seven all at the same time which is a lot um so we we did them they were very happy but the one that was hardest was the dr pepper knockoff and um i actually wrote a paper and did a presentation about all the dr pepper knockoffs that there are in the world all the, the crazy names and oh, dr pepper goodness, yes. it's it's so much fun dr pepper is not particularly litigious like there <laughs> there's there's one i forget who has it but it's like dr skipper yeah. which is so close. Like, why have they not been sued out of existence for that? I don't understand it. But um, so we had to come up with something that was fun and they kind of wanted the doctor in front of it because most of the knockoffs have that, but it, you know, there's a lot that have that PPER ending. So we didn't want that. And, mm-hmm. you know, it couldn't sound highly caffeinated. It didn't need to sound like a Mountain Dew knockoff because we'd already done that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I was working on this and, and making the list and going through and going through. And almost the last name that I, I personally added to the list was the name that they eventually chose. And that was Dr. Bob. Dr. Bob. <laughs> See, and that was the reaction. I Every time it. I showed it to people, they would laugh and they'd like, that is the silliest name. And I'm like, yeah, but you remembered it, right? Like you you heard it and you laughed and, it's and it for made you soda. happy. That's like and it's for soda. Fun product. <laughs> yeah. So, it and that's so... the name they went with. I love that name. That is so fun. What were the others? What were the others? Oh, I can't remember. This or, is or like, for like years Mountain Dew and, you know, if you remember. Oh, uh, it's, you know, I don't even think they sell most of them anymore. They're on the catchword website somewhere. Okay. So if people are interested, I'll, I'll try to find the link to the page where they're all listed there. But um, the, most of the other names ended up being pretty safe. Yeah. You know, there was, yeah. there was I, I think the, the Pepsi knockoff was called Rally. You know, like, uh, you know, uh, everybody gathers and we have a little race and uh, something like that. And yeah, they were they were all like that. What's fascinating is like the the sort of semantic categories that like identify what so that customers know kind of what experience I'm in for. It's like like you said, doctor is like that's like your cue for that kind of soda or with the Mountain Dew, probably something with mountains in it, maybe I'm guessing or something green. It's like Sierra Mist, Mountain Right. Kind of in that same semantic really? field. <laughs> and that's the the magic of consumer branding, right? Like you you have to observe the patterns that are out there and then either try to work within that paradigm or subvert it completely. Yeah. Um, like like this security name that you were just talking about, right? There's so many security firms that have those shield and fence and defender names, mm-hmm. but you can go outside, you can subvert it and say, no, we're going to be totally different and pick this beautiful, elegant, organic name. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to set us apart. And, and that's just that's marketing, right? Like you have yeah. to learn how to do these things and which way the client is going to jump. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I think it's so much fun. It's a, a great job. Um, so what do you think is, is in your future? I, I assume you're going to be at Northbound for a while. Um, are, do you, do you think you'd like to do other things? Would you ever go in house with a client? Uh, you know, I, I've thought about that. I don't know. Um, 
in-house seems like I might go the other direction and go, you know, on my own before oh, going in-house uh-huh. somewhere. Uh, unless there was some kind of, you know, there was some brand that really spoke to me that, you know, I just wanted to be associated with, with that um, and, you know, their product. But haven't found that yet. So far, I've, I've been loving the the agency model. Love my team. Northbound is the greatest team I've worked with uh, oh, so far. Awesome. And it's just amazing people there. Brilliant, warm, just empathetic, just amazing. Um, a, a great a great team of people. Um, but yeah, immediate future, uh, taking a few months off to be with baby. And, yeah, and, that's so yeah. exciting. Well, congratulations on that. That's Thank totally you. awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I think I've gone through all my questions. Is there anything else you want to add that we haven't covered or, or that you want to impart to the folks who are listening? Yeah, reach. feel free to reach out. Um, I, you, maybe you'll share any. Uh, I'm, I'm totally willing to, to keep the conversation going if anyone ever listens to this and has questions. So Sure. Yeah, I will put your LinkedIn profile in, in the show notes so people That's can great. definitely find you through that. This has been so much fun. I love talking about naming and I'm, I'm really glad to hear because I knew little bits and pieces of yeah. your, your journey, but hearing the whole thing put together is, is just so cool. So I'm, I'm so glad we're friends and I'm so glad that um, we can keep up with each other. And, you know, if you do end up um, making another move somewhere, we can we can revisit that and see yeah. how you're doing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Laurel. Appreciate the appreciate the conversation. Linguistics Career Launch 2021 was a one-month intensive program intended to familiarize linguistics students and faculty with career options beyond academia in business, tech, government, and nonprofit organizations. Videos of all our recorded sessions are available on our YouTube channel. LCL 2021 was organized by Nancy Frischberg, Alexander Johnston, Emily Pace, Susan Steele, and Laurel Sutton. You can get in touch at linguisticscareerlaunch at gmail.com.